Shame Kol Yisrael. All right, we're going to dedicate this Torah learning for the protection of our brothers who are putting their lives on the line to protect Am Yisrael for the foolish lame anyone sick, for the bringing back of the captives, and for the strengthening of our tefillah, because that's all we got. So this prayer, today's uh, prayer that we're focusing on is I think the prayer that I've been uh, most interested in learning more about, most focused on after the terrible tragedies uh, of October 7th, and I've been thinking about what's the deeper meaning behind this prayer. Now, just as a general overview, this Balamal Shanim prayer was the only prayer, the 12th prayer of the Shemona Esrei, which was added. See, it's originally 18 brachas, Shemona Esrei, but this was added about 500 years after the Anshe Knesset Tegdola already you know, closed the Siddur. It's in the time of Rabbi Gam, Rabban Gamliel. This is way after the destruction of the Beis Megdash. And the Jews uh, at the time had big issues. And there were all sorts of sects of Jews who were fighting. And there was the Sadukim and the Essenes and the Bothians and the early Christians and everyone was fighting. And not only were they fighting, but there was a lot of uh, Malshinim, people who were ratting Pharisees or what we now call traditional religious uh, rabbinical Jews to the government and people were dying. And it was a bad scene. And apparently the Gemara and Brachas recounts, as does the Ramah, it got so bad that Rabbi Gamliel decided we need to write a special prayer in order to get rid of this evil within our midst. And so he asked, who can write us a tefillah? And Shmuel Hakatan, Shmuel, the small, humble one, stepped up and said, I'll do it. And he wrote the prayer of Balamal Shinim, the additional prayer uh, that we say to this day to remind us three times a day of the importance of ousting this evil from our midst. And um, it's that's the basic theme of the prayer, getting rid of these wicked people. And there are a lot of questions we have to ask about this. First of all, why did we specifically need Shmuel HaKatan? What made him so unique that he was the man, that he was the only guy who could write this prayer? I mean, it doesn't seem that complicated to write a prayer against um, wicked people. So the Briskarov points out, based on the Nefesh HaChayim, that the words of the tefillah are written with prophecy. They're invested with magical spiritual power, and they're meant to be relevant for every generation. And so it, prophecy had been gone, basically, since the time of the Great Assembly, the Anshek Nesavikadola. The Talmud does recount that there were some people who still had this glitch of Ruach HaKodesh, and Shmuel Katan apparently was one of those people. That's reason number one why he was chosen to write the prayer. The other reason is that if you look in Pirkei Avos, the fourth chapter, it notes that Shmuel HaKatan's max axiom, the thing he would always say, was that you should not rejoice when your enemies fall. Don't be happy when there's bad for your enemies. Which, interestingly enough, is actually a pasuk from Mishnah, from Proverbs. 
that apparently that's the theme. He didn't make up the concept, but he would always reiterate this idea. So he was the perfect man for the job. Only someone with zero personal interest, zero animosity, a completely humble person. He could write the prayer because he was only praying for the downfall of the wicked for the sake of the good of the Jewish people, not for any personal reasons. He, he wrote it just for Am Yisrael. So that's a little bit about the origin of the prayer. And of course, we'll have to ask ourselves, how is this prayer relevant when we don't have uh, Sadducees in our midst? But we'll still have to find how this is still super relevant for our lives. Interestingly enough, there's another um, historical background for this prayer. According to a Midrash, who was, where was, when was actually the first time when this prayer was, was said? It was when the Egyptians drowned by the Yam Suf. And then, I believe, Pharaoh himself survived and gave this bracha of the downfall of the wicked. Which, if nothing else, certainly teaches us that this prayer is no, not only relevant for wicked Jews, but certainly, certainly re relevant for Gentiles who want to destroy the Jewish people. Super relevant for today. All right, so that's a historical introduction. Um, it's the 12th bracha. Of course, 12 always reminds us of the 12 tribes. Uh, in other words, perhaps the concept is in order to get true Jewish unity, we need to get rid of the heretics, the heresy in our midst. And it's the prayer also follows Hashiva Shoftenu which is the prayer for justice. So the concept is once, what is true justice? Only when wicked can really be dealt with. If they're still wicked within our midst, then that's not true justice. And only when we have a true just system can we truly get rid of the wickedness in our midst, which will allow us, as the Chassam Sofer says, the main idea is to get to Allah Tzadikim. But righteousness can only flourish when wickedness is called out. Okay. So, one more uh, really important introduction. So, this prayer is probably jarring for a lot of people because essentially we're praying for the downfall of wicked people. But I'm sure many of us are familiar with the famous story of Rameir and Bruria. Rameir, the Gemara and Brachas teaches, was having troubles with the neighbors and he was uh, going to pray for their downfall. But his wife, Bruria, reminded him that David HaMelech in Baruch Inafshi didn't say that wicked people should perish from the earth, but that sin should perish from the earth. So instead, he should pray that they repent, should pray that the sin leaves us and not that the sinner leaves us. Similarly, there's a story in the Gemara and Brachos about Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, if I'm not mistaken, who also had a similar situation and he was going to pray for the downfall of a particular Tzaduki and he fell asleep right when he was going to pray for this Tzaduki and he took it as a sign from HaKadosh Baruch Hu that God has mercy on all of his children and uh, he doesn't want he doesn't want us praying for the downfall of the wicked. So if that principle is true um then how, how is it that at least, uh, you know, a simple interpretation, we are indeed praying for the downfall of the wicked. How does, that, how does that work? So perhaps we could suggest 
that on a individual level, it would be problematic to pray for the downfall of the wicked. Uh, but on a general level, leaving it up to God's, you know, decision, at least that's my, my explanation, then on a general level, it's okay to pray for the downfall of the wicked. Uh, perhaps also we could say that there's certain times in Jewish history when it's just so absolutely crucial for uh, Am Yisrael that even that we are allowed to pray for the downfall of the wicked. Um, and uh, maybe uh, Rabbi Mayer's situation was not as, as dangerous as, as the situation that Rabbi Gamliel was dealing with. All right. So, you know, one last, of course, thought that Tanya teaches that in general, in general, we have to assume that Jews are good and that they're not fully wicked. And um, I would say that's generally true with people. We shouldn't assume that they're wicked. But if we they do reach a point when we absolutely know that, that they're uh, the equivalent of Amalek, that there's no hope and no chance, then we do have the right to pray for their downfall. But this is a very rare an exceptional situation, and we should uh, always judge people favorably and assume that they're good as long as that is uh, reasonable. All right, with that long-winded introduction, let's jump into the actual words themselves. And the slanderers should not have any hope. So as I mentioned, uh, these Wicked men were slandering the Jews, the good Jews, to the government and getting them killed. And many, many were being killed by these wicked men. And so the first thing we want is that we are praying for getting rid of the slanderers. They should have no hope. Now the Pasuk in Yirmiyahu, Perak Yadalad, writes that the, Hashem is the Tikva, Hashem is the Mikveh, the hope of the Jewish people. But we are praying that they should have no hope. No hope. The Gemara in Erevan teaches that uh, Avram Avinu might go down to try to save his uh, wayward children in, in, in the next world. But Hashem himself is going to make sure that someone who hurts so many other Jewish people, that they have no hope. Normally, as Rabbi Jonathan Sachs points out, a Jewish person always has hope. That's a, the greatest teaching of the Torah but we don't want them to have any hope. No tikva, they shouldn't sing a tikva, nothing. And all of the heretics should in a moment be destroyed. The truth is there are many different girsaot because this uh, text has to be, have been changed many times throughout Jewish history because of uh, different governments that Jews were under and that's why you'll find many, many different variants. Um, for this prayer between different nuschaot, between you know, Ashkenazim, Sephardim, etc. But the basic idea is the same. We want to get rid of all of the heretics. Um, what does it mean, karega? For, so I'll give two explanations. First of all, just like a moment, it's here today and gone in just a moment, we want swiftly these evil wickedness to get to be gone. Um, one could also suggest that this is relating to that moment. The Gemara and Bracha says there's one moment each day when a Kaddish Baruch Hu is uh, Midat Adin. Gemara in 
Baruchas, I believe, says it's one in 58,888 um, of an hour each day. And that was the moment that, Binyan, that Bilaam was going to curse the Jewish people. And that was, that's the moment of Din. So in that moment of Din, we ask that God get rid of all of the wicked people. Um, okay. Vazidim. And all our enemies of our nation, of your nation, should again quickly be cut off. There's a stress, and we want it to happen fast. We don't want to wait anymore. We can't wait. This is the desperate situation. And these wicked people should quickly be uprooted and broken and knocked down and submitted quickly in our days. Notice again the stress on fast. We don't have time. Hurry, 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 get rid of them. And it seems to me like there's all these verbs of are expressing our anger. We want to get rid of them real fast. And you just don't have to think too much back in our history. Just think about what happened just a few weeks ago uh, in the south of Israel. Think about Nazi Germany and you can understand the anger that uh, this, the author of the prayer was putting into the prayer. And, 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 you know, unfortunately, throughout Jewish history, we've been able to say this prayer and understand what he was tapping into. The, the, the Sfarim explained that first we want to destroy evil, and then we want to subdue it. In other words, there's some evil that there's just nothing you can do with it. You just have to completely knock it out. Once we've knocked out the wicked, wicked evil, then the lesser klipat noga type of evil, so to speak, um, we can submit it and we can use that for the good. Plus to you, Hashem gets rid of the oivim and subjugates the zaydim. There are many different explanations about what's an, the difference between an oyev and a zayd and a mefarshim. Some say it's talking about different types of Jew haters. Some are outwardly expressive of their hatred, and some are inwardly hate Jews, but either way, we want them all gone. Some relate this to Jewish evil people versus non-Jewish evil people. But either way, we want all of the wickedness to quickly perish from the land. As we say in Rosh Hashanah, and all of the wickedness, like a cloud, should should be destroyed. Bezrat Hashem, Bezrat Hashem. I'll just add, perhaps the most important point for me, many of the Mepharshim I've seen, especially Rabbi Pincus in his explanation, and similarly Rabbi Fuhr, Avram Chaim Fuhr, which I've gotten a lot of the explanations for this little shear from in his beautiful book, Shimona Esrei, explain that in our generation, we can also have the kavana when we're talking about getting rid of the evil, to be t- getting rid of the heresy within ourselves. We all sometimes have heretical thoughts. We all have Yitzhahara. And we're praying for the downfall of the wicked. Of course, on a shot level, we're talking literally about wicked people. But we're also praying, as Rapinka says, to get rid of that wicked spirit within us, to get rid of it, to get rid of, not to completely get rid of the Yitzhahara, but to transform that Yitzhahara by overcoming it into a Yitzhahara. And uh, that at least is my personal kavana whenever I say this prayer. So, Bezrat Hashem, we should see the downfall of all of our enemies. Am Yisrael should win this 
victory very, very soon. We should have extra special kavana in our Balamal Shirim. And Bezrat Hashem, we should merit a time of only righteousness, of only love, and only connection because we've gotten rid of we've gotten rid of wickedness in the world. Bezrat Hashem, Bezrat Hashem. As much as we are a people of a people of lovers, and that is our nature, there's also a part of Judaism that has to say, "I hate wickedness. I hate falseness." Obviously, we need to act with wisdom and consult our, our those greater than us, our friends and our rabbis, at that when to apply this uh, anger and this hatred. But to pray to Hashem that He get rid of the truly wicked in the world is certainly an appropriate thing to do. Bezrat Hashem. All right, thank you for listening. Hope this enlightened your prayer, gives you a little bit more kavana, and it certainly has enlightened mine. So thanks for listening to another Tefillah Tefillah Insights here from the Telem camp. Bezrat Hashem. On a rainy, freezing day in Hebron. Hashem give us all Yeshua's. Bezrat Hashem.